Slow night of action around the NBA, but Westbrook put up a really cool stat line and the Warriors destroyed the Nuggets. We're going to recap it all for you. And speaking of the Warriors, are their biggest opponents themselves or maybe the officials? And the Washington Wizards make a good move removing Ernie Grunfeld from their front office. It's the Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA. Let's go. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Locked on NBA podcast, the daily podcast covering everything going on around the association. You can get this podcast by subscribing through Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and of course the brand new podcasting app, Himalaya. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on NBA. On Wednesdays, I'm your co-host Jake Madison at Nola Jake on Twitter, host of the Locked on Pelicans podcast. And I am John Corrales at Reds Army underscore John on Twitter, co-host of the Locked On Celtics podcast and beat writer covering the Celtics for MassLive.com. So it was a slow night in the NBA, but we had some pretty cool things that went on in this one. And should we should we start with the bad games first, John, the ones that are less <laughs> interesting here? Bad Just games. get them out of the way. Get them out of the way. Yeah, I think that's the move here. So you had the San Antonio Spurs 117 over the Atlanta Hawks 111. Atlanta took the lead in the fourth on this one, but the Spurs just a little bit better. They managed to get it done on the night for the Atlanta Hawks. Alex Len was the big guy in the starting lineup, 21 points on the night. And then Kent Bazemore got it going, 26 points off the bench. Yeah, the, the Spurs went on a big run late, uh, just proving to be a little bit too much. What I didn't like was a little too much hero ball from Trey Young. He was taking some he was, deep, he was deep off. shots. Yeah, he was off tonight, and then he was just taking some really uh, – I, I think he got a little caught in the moment. 0 for 6 from 3, uh, only 6 assists for him. That's a really, really bad night. And I think he got kind of caught up as Atlanta's lead was slipping away. He took a few bad shots, and then they just they just couldn't make anything. So it, young team just wilting under the pressure. San Antonio is just too good at home. Yeah, this is what Atlanta wants. They don't want to be winning games right now. They want some of their guys to play well. Like this is this is fine. We're at the end of the season. It's not make or make or break anymore. Move, moving on. Now that the Kings are eliminated from playoff contention, didn't fare well in this one against the Houston Rockets. One thirty, one oh five. James Harden was his usual James Harden self. Thirty six points on the night. He hit seven threes in this one. Didn't get to the line as much as he does, but chipped in ten assists as well. Interesting stat though from. Chris Paul, 12 assists on the night for him. They are something like 31 and one when he has 10 plus assists in a game. And by the way, they are creeping up the playoff standings, just a game and a half back now of the Denver Nuggets for the two seed. Wow. I mean, that's just a, a hell of a late season run for them. 26 three pointers made. I believe that ties a record for the Houston Rockets. 26 threes, 78 of their points came from three. The uh, Sacramento Kings hit seven from three. So they outscored the Kings 78 to 21 from three. Ouch. It's just a math thing at that point. Just wow. I mean, and I just, 
I the the Celtics just hit a uh, they just broke their own record for most threes in a season. They haven't even reached a thousand. Uh, the the Rockets are like at twelve hundred, almost thirteen hundred on the season. It's insane. I looked it up actually. The nineteen eighty six championship Celtics took just over three hundred threes that season. Just for perspective, the Curry does that three, in like a season. It's a lot insane. of guys do that in a season now. It's such a big and they not only that they hit twenty six of sixty one. They hit almost forty three percent. Yeah, of their threes. I mean. When they're on I'm like that, they're they're tough. And if they didn't, you know, if they shot like that in Game Seven of the Western Conference Finals last year, like <laughs> who knows the conversation wow. we're having today? Well, it's wow. worth mentioning. Wow, I mean, I'm sure the people in Houston don't think so. Well, see, this was not shade. I'm just saying, like, they can hit threes, and if they, you know, if they're doing that, they're really tough to beat. They can beat anybody, including sure. the Warriors, who we'll touch on in a minute. So, going to one of the two interesting games we had in this one, it was the Oklahoma City Thunder 119-103 over the Lakers. Uh, we probably, honestly, don't even need to touch on anything Lakers-related in this. And I was annoyed at first that this was one of the games on TV, on TNT, last night. And then Russell Westbrook went up and did something that hasn't been done since 1968. And the only other person in the history of the game is Wilt Chamberlain that did this. Here's his stat line on the night. 20 points, 21 assists, and 20 rebounds. It's a I don't even know what you call this. Is it a double triple double? <laughs> yeah, I guess it's yeah triple double squared. I I don't know. It's it's a hell of a stat line, man. And after the game, he dedicated the uh, the stat line to Nipsey Hussle. So here's here's the explanation on this. After the game, he says twenty plus twenty plus twenty. If you know, you know, kind of thing like that. Well, that's the name. The it's a an homage, a reference to the Roland Sixties uh, gang that Nipsey Hussle used to roll with when he was younger and in that in that life, and he has since gotten out of that life. And tragically, obviously, the events of this past week are what they are. But he was actually trying to get uh, trying to reach out to the LAPD to uh, try to end gang violence and end this this sort of thing so this was a a shout out to his his good friend nipsey hustle they obviously westbrook's uh, an la guy and and good friends was good friends so uh on one side there's this uh touching kind of this is his way of making this tribute on the other side from a pure basketball perspective how insane is it to be so good at the game of basketball where you say you know what i'm gonna go get 20 20 20 so i can pay tribute to my fallen friend like to go out and say 20 one person has ever yeah. done that ever and he's like oh yeah i'm gonna go get 20 20 20 so i can shout out nipsey and and pay my respects to his memory like holy jeez that's insane that's a part that i think it's kind of unrepresented on this where this is a guy who decided before the game started he was going to put up a 2020 20 game and then went out and did that basically <laughs> did it he's that good like it's like calling your shot but in an extreme and a lot mm. of people were like he's stat padding he's trying to do this and like 100 he was stat hunting in this to go out and get it 
But just because he was doing that doesn't really take anything away from this. And I think kind of when you watched him play, you know, he, he waved off Diallo, who was checking in for him late in the game and went after that uh, rebound off a missed free throw like his life depended on it to make sure he shored this up that he sealed this up. That's, I don't know. Like I, normally I don't like that kind of stat hunting, but when you're calling it and just trying to prove that you can do it, it almost makes it more impressive. Yeah. I mean, you, you can pad the rebounding stats nowadays. I mean, you, you, you certainly did. You still have to go get those assists. Like you still have to set those guys up. Yeah. You still have to set your players up. And yeah, you know, the points are the points. Elite players can go get their points really whenever they they really really want to. He struggled but a little bit more in this one. He I didn't, guess he, with it, he like, shot he shot poorly. He definitely shot poorly, but he did enough to get the twenty. But the the assists and and I'm a I know that assists are inflated nowadays. To get twenty one of them, there's still a lot still of assists a lot, there. man. Like, still a lot of. I mean, that's that's a lot, but. Yes, was there stat padding? Yes, there are people who are going to get on him for that. Uh, yes, he shot poorly. There's no doubt about that. It's not like he had the most efficient game in the world, but he still had 21 assists and 20 rebounds. That is very, very difficult to do. If it wasn't, more people would be doing it. So uh, yeah. it's just amazing, amazing that he was able to he that he wanted to go get that stat line, and then he still went and got that stat line and he didn't do it to the detriment of his team. He was a plus 24 and they won. So, I mean, shouts to him. I'm, I'm a, I'm a Westbrook critic, but I can't, yeah, I can't give him anything but love after this one. I'm, I'm like, and you especially know, I, for the reasoning. No, it's cool. It's, it's partially a meaningless game. I mean, Oklahoma city definitely needed to get that given that they've been on a bad slide recently, but like you said, he didn't do it. And then it was in a loss because he was kind of making these mistakes. Like all about this is cool. We don't, like, we have to bring it up because we talk about this on the podcast, the shooting sure. the eight of 23, 23 shots to get 20 points. But you know what? It was a really freaking cool stat and I'm glad it happened. I'm glad we got to see it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's historical. I mean, it's, you you watch that game, you saw something that only Will Chamberlain has ever done. Yeah. That's that's amazing. And this is why we're not even going to touch on the Lakers with any of this. Good for them for not really putting up much of a fight and trying to stop it, I guess. So nice job, Lakers, in your role in this here. So mo moving on to the final game of the night, the game we had high hopes for. And when John and I were planning out the podcast, it was like, maybe if this is a good game, we'll spend a whole segment on it. Yeah, we're, we're not going to do that. It ended up being a 116-102 a win for the Golden State Warriors over the Denver Nuggets. That is probably a closer score than the feel of the game was. The Warriors were up by as many as 30 in the fourth quarter in this one, and it was pretty much done. And when the Warriors decide they want to get going, and they had something to prove, it seemed like, in this game, they are tough to beat. Biggest thing that jumped out to me in this one was, my goodness, was DeMarcus Cousins really good on both sides of the ball. 28 points for him on the night, 12 rebounds, 5 assists. He was 12 of 17 from the field. He only took four threes, which after watching him for a season and a half in New Orleans, sometimes take 10 a game, to see him down on the low block, sealing his man, sealing Jokic, and doing work was pretty impressive. He also outplayed Jokic on the other end of the ball too, bodied him up multiple times, forced Jokic into multiple turnovers. He had six on the night. Jokic finished four of 10 with just 10 points. If he plays that well, 
I mean, they were already better than every other team in the league, but then you add DeMarcus Cousins, that that version of Cousins in there, this is a concern for the rest of the league even more so. Yeah, it's a concern, I think, and I think uh, for the Nuggets, uh, absolutely, because if they do get that far, and depending on how the seeding goes, it's unclear how far they'll get, but Jokic, that's that's going to be the way you defend him. If you've got a, a Bookie Cousins type of big, strong guy, not many people do. It, they, you don't see a lot of big, strong, uh, really like mean centers out there. And Cousins just, I, I think he just kind of took this matchup a little personally because he was he was attacking over and over again. And, and like you said, just bodying him up defensively. I think he wanted to go show that Jokic could be uh, manhandled a little bit for all of Jokic. Like he's, he's had a phenomenal season. Like he deserves every accolade that he gets, but he's not a big physical guy. He's more finesse. He's, he's passing. Yeah. He's, you know, if he gets you in the post, it's, it's post moves. He's not going to back you down over and over and over again he's going to he's going to get to his position he's going to give you a little post move and he's going to get to an open shot and so uh get, having cousins out there and a motivated cousins that's that's a game changer for the warriors on top of having durant who got ejected and we'll talk about in a little bit you you have clay who just can get hot you have steph who can get hot you've got draymond who can get i mean and and defend his ass off like you just have so many different options you throw cousins in there doing this and then on top of it you sprinkle in a little andrew bogut who in a very short amount of time did a fair amount of damage yep like that's that's something that is very very difficult to handle because you've got too many other things to worry about if cousins and bogut if that combination is going to give you 35 minutes or so of that level of play then forget it yeah, and it, look, it, the Nuggets didn't do themselves any favors in this one either. They came out flat. They shot 37.9% from the field. They were th 7 of 31 from deep, so just 22.6%. You're not going to beat the Warriors when basically you're, you're shooting like stormtroopers are here in Star Wars <laughs> and just missing everything. And, the, you know, I, I think people have seen them kind of overachieving a little bit so far this year. But there's definite big concerns. They've had a good regular season. This team's also young. And I think you kind of watch them and be like, okay, I'm not sure they're going to do much in the playoffs. And potentially, I think they play the Spurs twice coming up. And they've got another playoff team on their schedule. They could fall potentially to the fourth seed, maybe end up against Utah in the first round, which is probably an awful matchup for them. Not that they match up well with the Golden State Warriors. They've also been worked by the Houston Rockets. But, man, there's some concerns that this is going to kind of just be a a good regular season for them and that's really it but the question then is is that bad given how young they are and how much room they have to grow i mean after storming out and and being uh a top one or two seed for the entire season basically i mean that's yeah it'd be disappointing they've built up to a point here where there there have been some high expectations to be fair and expectations like i hate what what expectations do to teams because it's, it's really not fair. It's, it's us, a collective us that has thrust something on a team that maybe they're not ready for. So to your point, 
Denver has played out of their minds. Jokic has had a great season, and if they're if they're hitting their shots and if they're getting out into transition, man, they're they're going to be very difficult to beat. But it's very dependent on them hitting those shots. It's very dependent on Jokic just being you know a, the the godly MVP sort of candidate that that he's been. I mean, he's he's outside of the obvious two people that get discussed, he's in that, hey, you can't forget about Jokic conversation. You know what I mean? So that's if he's not that, then the Denver Nuggets aren't the Nuggets that they've been all year. Uh, uh, Maybe a little bit disappointment could be something that works in their favor, to your point. Like almost like the uh, the Spurs when they lost to Miami and then they came back that next season with that fire and that focus and they won the championship like in that vein they maybe a disappointing playoffs would do motivate the team and maybe motivate the front office to consolidate some of this talent I, and maybe get some upgrades something that's kind of important because I, I've said I could see them kind of as a dark horse team to maybe kind of roll the dice on a guy like Anthony Davis with all the young depth and talent that they have. If they think they need that one dude to really push them over the edge, they can put together a package that's pretty attractive, I'd say. So it's worth keeping an eye on in the future when it comes to that. One guy we haven't really mentioned in this one is Kevin Durant because he was ejected from this game, starting off a new feud in the NBA that's the Warriors against the refs. By the way, he was excellent in the 21 and a half minutes he played, 21 points on just 13 shots from him, along with six assists, three rebounds, no turnovers, and two blocks. But he was ejected, so imagine if he played the whole game in this one. We're going to touch on that coming right up here. But before we get to that, Remember, you can get this show, the Locked On NBA podcast, every single day on the new Himalaya podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlists and new features every day. There's too many podcasts out there. This is a fact. They help you find the stuff that you should be listening to, like the Locked On NBA podcast. So download the Himalaya app at your app store today and make sure to subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast. So Kevin Durant ejected from the game against the goal, uh, against the Denver Nuggets for the Golden State Warriors. And this comes the same day that the league fined three Golden State players um, a good bit of money. You had Draymond Green getting fined $35,000, Steph Curry $25,000, and then Kevin Durant fined $15,000 for public criticisms of the officiating from their game against the Minnesota Timberwolves on the 29th. John, do you like that this is a thing? And is this what's motivating the the, the Warriors to kind of turn back into themselves? Um, I, I don't like that they are so constantly talking about the officiating. Like, just all the time. It's all the time. Every time I turn around, I hear them talking about something. I, I want to know what's happened to Kevin Durant. Because I remember once upon a time, he was like the nice guy of the league. And now, like, he really went after Zach Zarba. And even if it's a little bit justified, like, he really launched some some pretty good expletives at Zarba, which it doesn't help your cause. And I know that officials are supposed to let those things go, and the next game is the next game. You call what you call. But there's no doubt, no doubt, these are human beings that 
are impacted by this. And if you walk into an environment where you're like, God, I can't believe I've got to deal with these jerks, you're definitely swayed by that. And you know the second you make a call that those guys are going to be in your face, in your ear, calling you names, and it's you just don't want to hear it. So technical fouls are going to be called quicker. Ejections will come quicker. And who knows how this impacts the playoffs, but it doesn't help anything. And the Warriors are probably just too good, and this doesn't matter. But there's still a layer of, well, if you can't keep your head, then maybe something like, you know, when when Draymond uh, kicked, uh, who was it that he kicked in the nuts uh, in in that uh, series against Cleveland? Oh, uh, I, I'm I'm spacing on it, but yes, I right, forget. I gotcha. But in the fight, yeah. So he got he, he got suspended. If something, if Kevin Durant racks up too many technicals and a quick trigger technical comes, and it's like a double tech or something in game three of the finals. Well, if that was the tech that got him to the automatic suspension in a critical game four, does that hurt the the Warriors against whomever they play? I don't know that there's an Eastern Conference team that's good enough to take advantage of that, but you never know. We didn't think the the Cavs were going to be good enough to take advantage of Draymond's suspension, and and they did. So it, it doesn't help anything, and it's just a bad look all around. Yeah, it, it, this is interesting because it it's kind of getting them fired up and playing exceptionally well, like we saw against the Nuggets when they kind of uh, want to lash out maybe or feel more motivated to prove a point. They're really scary. Simple as that. And maybe they've just been bored all season long and they finally needed to kind of find something that fired them up. And maybe this is it, which is good for them. They needed that probably if they want to win a title. But at the same point, there's downsides to this. Also, it just makes you a hated team around the league. Like, this is annoying. Like, they're the best team in the league. Like, come on. This is what you want to try and do and be like, no, it's unfair to us and get more of an advantage that you have uh, over the rest of the association. No, there's just no need for that. So the interesting part about this, though, I think, was Draymond Green getting the largest fine in this, $35,000. He didn't say anything during the game or to officials. And when you read the statement from the league, he's been fined for making statements on social media, and this is a quote, which impugned the integrity of NBA officiating. You go to his Twitter, and I don't know, it doesn't seem like there there's much there that would kind of cause this. But then you look at some tweets that were at 3.06 a.m. and 3.07 a.m., and usually if you're tweeting, then that can't be anything good. One's <laughs> TD, one's MK. Is this $35,000 worth of tweets? Well, when you it, it's it's, <laughs> it's the weird, pla- right? It, it's the plausible deniability that he's like, no, I just I, I was just tweeting like you, those could mean anything. Well, yeah, except the TD can be a direct reference, as everybody's pointed out, to Tim Donaghy and the uh, MK just happens to be the initials of uh, I forget how I don't know how to pronounce uh, this guy's name. Marek Kogut? Yeah, I think so. That's the official for their game that Friday between the Timberwolves and the Warriors. So when you just back-to-back TDMK, well, I know you think you're slick. I know you want to be like, oh, I didn't do anything. But 
it's kind of it's kind of clear what your motivation is there. Uh, it feels clear, and so and when you're Draymond Green, you kind of lost the moral high ground on things he, like he, this. He doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. I think right. like like they they're claiming they did an investigation into this. And I don't really know how you do that, but I'm sure they found a way. But the investigation might have been, well, this is Draymond Green, so we're going to find him. Yeah, uh, the investigation is, oh, who tweeted this? Oh, Draymond, 35K. Yeah. Like, like that's it. But it's – and it's not like he cares about the money. But no. it's – it's I, 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 I hate this. I hate this so much. Because I hate the Tim Donaghy scandal because it, it's now – like, I believe that Tim Tim Donaghy was the lone wolf. Like I do believe that. Maybe people who are listening think that I'm naive. Uh, but the the NBA has a very strong uh, motivation to make sure that everything's on the up and up. Like they are leading the charge into gambling, legalized gambling. The NBA is ultimately like I think their their goal is to have like gambling at your seat, so you can open up an app when. Durant goes to the line and be like, will Durant make these two free throws? Here are the odds. You can bet 10 bucks on it or whatever or more for some people. But like they need integrity. They need this game to be on the up and up because the second that integrity goes away, if these guys are gambling, if there's any of that stuff, then all of this falls apart. And that's a ton of money. This is a ton of money that they're talking about. So I don't believe that there's this vast gambling or conspiracy or corruption. So to put those two together, even the way Draymond did, it's it's irresponsible and it just feeds conspiracy theorists and it cheapens the game. Like that I, I'm not trying to crap all over Draymond Green, but this type of thing, this to to equate a current ref to somebody who was ejected from the game and, and lost his job over gambling that's irresponsible and it does it hurts that hurts the game it hurts the integrity of the game Th- that's a good point that i didn't really think about that and like that is the future that's what this is gonna be it's gonna be an app in your seat that you can kind of gamble on and some teams are experimenting with different things like that right now not actual gambling but like playing games in your seat to guess what'll happen next that's the next evolution and it's got to be on the up and up because there's so much at stake if it isn't, but now this is what we've got to deal with. And now it's the Golden State Warriors versus the refs and everyone hate them. So they're probably going to just go march on towards another NBA title. So I am excited to get to our next segment because we are going to make fun of the Wizards, even though they did the right thing. And we're going to touch <laughs> on we're going to touch on all of that. But before we do that, we've got to send you guys over to the Locked on Wizards podcast Monday through Friday, giving you everything you're going to need to know about now their vacant positions in the front office. Who might be stepping in there? What's the future of that team? And do you maybe bring in a guy to completely replace everything, including John Wall's maybe unmovable contract? So make sure you listen and subscribe to the Lockdown Wizards podcast. You can do, do so through the new Himalaya podcast app as well. All right, so the big news of the NBA yesterday was one you and I probably want to celebrate. We like to make fun of the Wizards on here, but they did a good move. 
They fired Ernie Grunfeld, their long-term, what was his title? President of basketball operations, team president, something like that. Guy at the very top who's been there for 16 years. I don't know what he did yesterday that caused him to do this if you weren't going to fire him before. But this is a good move without a doubt for the Wizards. Yeah, I mean, th- this dude has been in there for 16 years. They they haven't won 50 games uh, in any of those seasons. They have his combined record over those years, 568 and 724. They uh, just, it's just not a, uh, it's not, it's not good. I'm just struggling for the words here, but. Uh, Grunfeld is, it's funny. I saw, I forget who tweeted it, but the, uh, the joke amongst, I guess the agents was if you want a client to get overpaid, you take them to Ernie Grunfeld and boy, does that ring true? Jan Mahimi is making 15 and a half million dollars next season that that's so like it's easy to make fun of them but like i don't know so that's a bad move like there's no doubt about that 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 was an overpay and that hurt i don't know if they were you know supposed to let john wall walk and not sign him to that supermax which looks terrible now and i i lived on john wall island for a little bit before probably the injury this year where i thought it was okay because i think people have forgotten how good he was at times Man, just looking at him, like, I, I don't know. This is just it, it, almost an example of maybe why you shouldn't do what you're expected to do because it leads to you to a situation like this. Well, I mean, it, it also, on the other side of it, if you keep doing what you're expected to do, then you go to the owner and be like, what was I supposed to do? This was the right move, right? And That's probably why I was there for so probably, long. That's why I kept getting these little secret extensions. But he... Uh, <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. <laughs> like little secret extensions for Ernie Grunfeld. That's, just, that's sorry, I don't like, know. He's under the table, like, oh yeah, we'll give you another year. Come on, Ernie, you're good. Um, and it, it's he's not alone. Like that money is. There are a ton of GMs that would have given John Wall that money. That's that's not really why he's as far as this particular team. Uh, he's just. He hasn't built the right team around those guys. Like, you got Wall, you got Beal. And what, what he hasn't been able to do is admit, like, okay, this just isn't working. And when the opportunity came at this trade deadline to move Bradley Beal, I think they should have. I think they should have explored it, and they didn't. Uh, and even if they explored it as a way to get rid of Jan Mahimi, they didn't. And they're now in a position, like Ernie Grunfeld created this position where they have four guaranteed contracts for next season four and those four total 84 million dollars now you're still going to build a team around that you're going to i'm sure what grunfeld would have done was pick up the option in jabari parker instead of letting him go it, it that's so weird to me that they let him make some of these moves then to just fire him. And maybe you don't let him trade out Otto Porter or Kelly Oubre, who would have been a restricted free agent, and at least you have the option there if you're going to make this move. This this job looks less appealing now, probably, for a new GM to step in, right? I, I don't know. It depends on what the GM is allowed to do. Like You look at the Brooklyn job, and... That seemed very unappealing, but that's a good point. Sean Marks walked in there and he said, "This is how I need to do the job," and 
they allowed him to do that job, and the the meddling owner stepped away, and Marks built a a very strong up and coming team in Brooklyn. So th- you're going to need a similarly strong willed person to come in and talk to Ted Leonsis and say, "This is the plan. This is what we need to do." And and maybe it's too late to get off of John Wall's deal. But it's not too late to get things for like Bradley Beal's got two years left on his contract. It's still this summer is going to be a weird summer. Bring somebody in to at least explore that possibility. Find a way. And like I said, if you get Beal, if you get some somebody to get a combination of Beal and Jan Mahini, Mahimi goes out and you're going to be terrible next year anyway. Wall's going to miss all of next year anyway. Just go down the tubes, tank it bring in the young players and rebuild, get a good draft pick. And then some of those players, maybe you can, I don't know what you do with Sam Sadoransky. I don't know what you do with Portis. I don't know what you do with Sam Decker. These are all uh, restricted free agents. I I don't know what's going to happen there. I don't know what's going to happen with Dwight Howard. If he picks up the five and a half million dollar option, there's a lot of questions here, but you, you just find a way to maximize the value of Bradley Beal. Bring in the young players, bring in the picks. That's the only thing you can do at this point. It's just, you're just toast. You can't, you can't do anything. And, and there, there's still questions about how much Bradley Beal is going to be able to carry a team. So go to the Lakers. I, I brought this up on another podcast, go to the Lakers and say, look, Anthony Davis ain't coming. They're not going to deal with you. Here's Bradley Beal. Pair him with LeBron. Now you've got a solid, a real good number two, We'll take a lesser package, but, you know, Brandon Ingram, some picks, whatever else you need to make things match. And then let those guys kind of do their thing for a year. And then when John Wall comes back in 2020, then you've got a solid core around him and you run it that way. That That's my plan or something along those lines. No, I mean, that makes sense. So, look, it's a GM job. People are going to be interested in it. And the name right now that's kind of their interim GM is Tommy Shepard, who's been their senior vice president of basketball operations. He's been there for 14 years working under Grunfeld. This is where we get to make fun of the Wizards, and I'm excited because supposedly he is one of the main candidates to replace Grunfeld full-time and be their new GM. I think the last thing they want to do, and this is where they're going to probably botch this, is keep basically the second-in-command to that guy for the past 14 years, which haven't exactly been the most successful for the Wizards when there's a ton of really good GM candidates out there right now. I know this because I've been researching all of them and a bunch (laughs) are interviewing with the Pelicans this week. That's right. So I, I, I don't know that the in-house promotion exactly the way you want to go. Although you could argue that the in-house guy is the person who knows how much Grunfeld has screwed up over the course of uh, 16 years and can can right some of the wrongs. And maybe there is a good candidate in there somewhere. But you'd like to think that a fresh perspective that can can come in and try to raid that Popovich family tree one more time and, and get somebody in there to, to carry on that type of tradition, bite the bullet, convince Leonsis that you got to just do what you got to do here and move forward. And, and soon enough, it'll be a positive upswing, but it's, it's just not going to happen. It all really depends on what Leonsis wants. Is, is he dead set on keeping Beal and trying for the playoffs next year? Then, then you might as well promote from in-house 
because then no one else is going to come in there and take that job and, and make a bunch of moves that make you look bad. If I'm, if I'm an up-and-coming assistant GM and I go in there and interview with Leonsis and he's telling me playoffs are bust next year, I'd be like, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to wait for a deal that allows me to, again, pull a Sean Marks and, and show that I can pull a team out of the muck and build a winner and not just sit there and, and tow the company line. Otherwise, go work for the Bulls. Yeah, uh, no, that's that's a really good point. It's it's not it's it's not all on Grunfeld how this went. It usually is ownership that's kind of let it get to this point and is given certain mandates for how the GM or the president or whoever needs to act. And that's definitely been the case here because it seemed like they were still hell bent on getting to the playoffs this year until the day that they were officially eliminated and made moves as such while also trying to be cheap. And it's kind of led them to this weird purgatory that they're in. And it just hasn't worked out. So maybe it's got to come from up top because, like you said, if he's going to someone and saying, hey, I want to make the playoffs next year, get this team in here, it's not going to work out. And you're not going to necessarily build the right type of franchise for the long-term future that you need to do. So it's a problem. And they've got to get this higher right because it's really important for them to nail this over the next couple of years, as it usually is for teams that kind of fire their GM in the middle of the season, as I'm learning here in New Orleans, too. <laughs> so we'll see. I'm sure there's going to be more names coming out linked to this position um, in the near future. Again, best way to do that is follow along with the Locked on Wizards podcast. So that's going to do it here for the Wednesday edition of Locked on NBA. Thank you all for listening and make sure to subscribe to the show through the new Himalaya podcast app as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. When you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Pelicans. So as always, on Wednesday, I'm your co-host, Jake Madison, host of the Locked on Pelicans podcast. You can find me on Twitter. It's at Nola Jake. And you can find me on Twitter, Reds Army underscore John. I'm John Corrales, co-host of the Lockdown Celtics podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be back with you all next week.